0: Well, hello everybody. Hello, Gunner. So I have been uh, encouraged by a fellow friend and fan of the show, Emily uh, Birdshaw, about uh, getting Steve Oren on the podcast from uh, Intel. He's our—he's a federal CTO at, at Intel. Um, so I'm really excited to have him join us. And you know, Emily was saying, "Oh yeah, this is going to be like this is going to be a total nerd fest with with uh, you guys talking and everything." So hopefully we live up to Emily's expectations. Hi, Emily. And uh, But Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Dave, and thank you, Gunnar. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Steve, tell us about, uh, you know, what do you do, uh, you know, and, and how, how did you get to where uh, you are today?
1: So, as you mentioned, Dave, and, and thank you for having me on the show, um, I'm the federal CTO for Intel Corporation, and in that role, it's my job to work with uh, our federal customers across civilian, military, intelligence to help them to adopt uh, new technologies, existing capabilities, and be able to drive their mission and enterprise objectives, leveraging both Intel technologies, architectures, as well as our ecosystem and partners. How do we actually get them to achieve their goals, uh, leveraging uh, the current technology and what's coming down the pike? At the same time, a lot of what it is is being able to then translate government requirements and government needs back into the business units at Intel so that we can develop and build solutions that meet these end customers. So it'd be the voice of the customer back to uh, the development and engineering organizations. And so that's really my role right now is a a two-way function of helping the customers and helping Intel uh, to build Mm -hmm. things that meet those customer requirements. And to work with our broader ecosystem, uh, companies like Red Hat and, and the OEMs, be able to help them deliver the best of their capabilities running on Intel. Mm-hmm. I've been in this role for about five and a half years. I, uh, before that, I ran security pathfinding for Intel for about eight years, eight and a half years, which was sort of the advanced innovation around uh, using silicon and uh, hardware capabilities, but really driving software and solution architectures and new capabilities around things like cloud and virtualization security, anti-malware techniques, web security, really looking at how our technologies get leveraged in new and innovative ways to solve customer problems. My background is in cybersecurity. I've spent the last 24 years in the security marketplace, um, first doing startups in the 90s and 2000s in the areas of desktop security uh, mainframe security helped start the web security market back in the early 2000s, um, both from a firewall and from a vulnerability assessment and scanning capability. And then came to Intel in uh, 2005 to really help grow our security capabilities uh, for the marketplace and for our customers.
0: Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, and when when you say you describe your current role today, it's like I, I could have taken exactly what you said and search and replace. Uh, Intel with Red Hat, and it's it's the exact same thing I do. And it's, you know, I always describe it as this uh, circle, right, where, um, or a cycle that, you know, we're out meeting with the customers, but we're also, you know, going back with, um, you know, back to our engineering and business units to say, hey, here's an opportunity for us, or here's where we're missing the mark. And uh, so it's, it's a fun job, right, where it's, uh, you get to meet with great customers and see where they're taking our technology, but Um, but also influencing a a large uh, company's roadmap. So that's awesome. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And I think what makes it really interesting working with the federal government is that Uh they really do have every possible kind of use case or mission area to look at. And so you could be looking at uh, solving problems with high-performance computing and some of the big science questions one day and then looking like at edge sensing and uh, AI inferencing for facial recognition or license plate reading the next, and then looking at cloud transformation the third day. So every day is a new challenge and a new area of focus. So it really keeps you on your toes and it, ke- it keeps it exciting. But it also means that you've got technologies from a variety of different markets and verticals that can all be applied to this one area around the federal yep. government.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's that's the exact same thing I do when I when I go back to our – engineering folks, I always try to look at a particular technology that the government needs, but look at the, the biggest uh, addressable market to get uh, folks to say yes, right? Where it's like, hey, all the security stuff would be useful in regulated industries, any regulated industry for, you know, banking, um, you know, healthcare, all kind of stuff. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Steve, when you, uh, you know, one of the common things that, you know, it, it, it drives me up a wall when somebody's like, "Oh, Red Hat, yeah, you're the Linux people, right?" And do th- do you get the same sort of uh uh feeling whenever somebody's like, "Oh, Steve, you're from Intel, you're you're the x86 chip people, right?" Uh is, it, do it, you, do you get that way?
1: I get that all the time and uh it is funny, yeah. you know, people know us for our chips um that yeah. we are pervasive, you know, we're inside the laptops, we're inside the servers. Um, even to a little bit more than that, what people don't often realize is that we are also inside the network equipment, inside the appliances. Most everything from the from your client all the way to, to the cloud is touching Intel technologies across that. But what people may not know is that Intel is more than just the, the CPUs that run mm-hmm. the internet, and run the cloud, and run your client environment. Um, we are also the storage and the memory. We are providing the network connectivity. We provide the, the device connectivity. We're providing much of the software that rides on top of those chips that are enabling the large players in our ecosystem, the Red Hats, and the, uh, and the, and the database players and the cloud providers to leverage those interfaces and technology. Um, and so when you look at what Intel provides, we actually provide a, a significant amount of not just the CPU, but the surrounding content and capabilities that um, around connectivity, storage, and memory. And in, in the last several years, I've really branched out with our acquisition of Altera into programmable logic with the FPGA business, and mm-hmm. then uh, making a, a, a big play in the AI and machine learning marketplaces with dedicated accelerators and capabilities at the small IoT subwatt end with our Movidius chips that provide uh, visual and imagery analysis at the pointy end of the spear, as well as uh, our new, newly announced. Uh, neural network processors that provide acceleration for training and inference at the enterprise and data center side of the camp. And so we're seeing Intel's really expand into what we call a data-centric company. And what that comes to is looking at how you follow the bit. How is data being processed, moved, storage, and how can Intel make it be processed, moved, and stored faster? And that's really our mission is about how can we enable our, the customers in the ecosystem to take full advantage of the data that they're both collecting, processing, transmitting and, and uh, interacting with to get results faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think the key term there is, is uh, enabling customers where, um, you know, like a lot of times I think people get fatigued by talking to like account folks. Sometimes they just get burned by the stereotypical sales rep that is just trying to close them on a deal and sell them something, everything. And, so you know, just like when you go like when I go to buy a car, it's like I'll do all the research online and I I show up to, to the dealer to just close the deal, right? And where um I think with it sounds a lot like I do this all the time at, at Red Hat, um, but probably you do the same thing and your folks at Intel as well, where you know it's like don't just look at us for our, you know, the Linux product or the the CPU that we have. Um we provide so much more than that. Plus the connective tissue uh, to all of our partner ecosystems and everything. So, let us be that trusted advisor to um, say that, well, hey, it's it's great that you're doing this, but have you thought about it doing in a, a slightly different way? And you know, here's a path to get there. Do, do you see the same sort of thing?
1: I think I do, and I think it's even more interesting uh, from the perspective that most people don't come to Intel to buy anything. So uh, right. it's even a more um, another level of indirection. Um, our account executives actually aren't there to close you know, 40,000 CPU business. Because right. The customer will consume our content through their OEM channel, through their system integrator as part of a partner or a channel. And so really, we're there to be an advisor, to help them understand how to get the most out of the technology, make sure they're speccing the right uh, uh, silicon and hardware and firmware, as well as the software ecosystem to get the most out of what they're trying to do. And because we are somewhat mm-hmm. agnostic to which OEM you go with, or which ISV you partner with, which integrator you're dealing with, we can provide some of that unbiased advice about what the best approach is, or what the pros and cons of doing, you know, taking on digital transformation and doing a hybrid cloud, doing multi-cloud, and can and speak intelligently about what that means because we have customers and partner ecosystems that are doing those kind of things. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. for for our p- folks and for myself. We get the opportunity to really help strategically drive the customer to understand what the different ways they can approach their problems, what they can do today, what will they be enabled to do in the next couple of years as new technologies continue to evolve and become available and really help guide them. And when they do have a path – and I'll pick on when they're working with Red Hat – we then can come in with with work that we've done directly with Red Hat, for instance, on accelerating Ceph and accelerating uh, some you know uh, storage capabilities to help them take full advantage of the investment and of, of the uh, strategy that they've put in place to take advantage of the of the partner ecosystem. Because we are always going to be driving that ecosystem to be better and to be more uh, performant, because that consumes the ultimate silicon content.
0: Yep, yep. So speaking of these conversations, are are you well, like what are some of the common conversations that you seem to be having over and over and over again, like the same conversations uh, with, with folks that is just like a, a key area of interest to them?
1: I think right now, if you, you could really bucket into three key areas, um, cloud and digital transformation is still a hot topic. It has been for some time. It continues to be. So I think what we're seeing is that uh, the government has moved and, and, and is continuing to move across the maturity curve. Um, as far as their adoption from early stages mm-hmm. of, well, we're going to tip our toe and put our toe into the water and try one or two applications. Many organizations have now gone to the, oh, we're going to throw everything into the public cloud. Now we've got no, some organizations looking at, well, what, what's my hybrid a- approach? Because not everything's going to go into all one cloud environment. Or what is my multi-cloud approach? Because I need to have, uh, I don't want to deal with vendor lock-in. I need to have diversity of services. And so they're mm-hmm. starting. To, we're starting to see that maturity of conversation in government agencies and really across civilian uh, military and intelligence. The other okay. big one is uh, is AI and machine learning. That is the hot topic. It's, we've con- we are generating just the sheer volume of data in the government. How do we take advantage of it? How do I get the decisions into the hands of whether it be the, 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 the citizens um, or into the uh, warfighter? How do I give them access to knowledge? How do I get from raw mm-hmm. data into intelligence? And the real push now is how do I do that, pushing more capability to the edge so that I'm getting better decision-making, better time to data, and also I'm not wasting time and energy sending data all the way back into a central data center or cloud for every signal. I want to be able Mm -hmm. to do some pre-processing and do some intelligence or inferencing. And so AI machine learning is the big push, and we're seeing it across the board from smart cities to Department of Defense applications to census. Everyone is looking at how do we leverage AI And we're going to go through a similar maturity curve where people sort of think, oh, AI, I can magically put that in and it will solve my problems to people who are ready to have those deeper conversations around what's my data strategy? How do I do governance? What is my data cleansing approach in order to get the right data and train the right models? And so we're getting to that level now, and it's happening rapidly as AI is showing a lot of promise, and -hmm. so that is becoming a common conversation. And Mm -hmm. then there's an underpinning underneath all of this. and That is, it's all got to be secure. And so security is one of those common themes, whether you're talking cloud or AI or sensors or uh, you know, 5G and advanced wireless. There's a foundational piece that is security that I think the government has really um, been on the forefront and continues to be a vanguard in having requirements for the advanced levels of security for both remote digital kind of attacks as well as physical access and tamper-based uh, protections that they need and want and are regulated to have for their systems and applications. I think Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things we've started to see is that some of those advanced government requirements that have been there for some time have made their way into the commercial market. So we are starting to hear those same kind of requirements for physical access protection for data on systems coming from cloud providers and from financial services uh, and banks because they are starting to see that threat model uh, uh, mm-hmm. make their way into the broader commercial. So it continues to be the government is vanguarding what commercial will need in the future, and we're seeing that 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 window from when it was a government requirement to a commercial requirement shortening. Um, mm-hmm. And right now, I mean, supply chain security has got to be one of the number one topics in government circles as they struggle with trying to understand what is the supply chain for technology, uh, as, whether it be software, hardware, or services uh,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: providing to the government.
0: Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, so if we if we look at AI a little bit, how, you know, for a lot of times, uh, you know, there are customers that probably read about AI and, and it's, they aspire to do it, but are your AI conversations with the people that are already like the crazy hair PhD people or, or how mainstream do you think AI is going to get, uh, whether it's today or, or in the near future?
1: I think you're going to see a continuum and, and really a spectrum of folks. Um on the one hand, you you do get to go deep with some of the data scientists that have a particular problem and they're trying to do object tracking at speed across multiple objects, whether it be being able to track satellites in space or be able to uh, monitor, um, you know, environmental conditions, uh, weather modeling, things along those lines. So we're having deep conversations in that area. At the same time, you have other organizations that ultimately they're not trying to be the whiz bang super wizard when it comes to science. They have a problem. They need to be mm-hmm. able to, to, you know, be able to do object recognition in the field, be able to detect is that a car, is that a person, is that a mountain lion, what's the state of, of the environment, whether it be forestry trying to understand the health of a forest and detect early, early stage blight, or it's a, uh, it's a uh, Department of Interior trying to track for, forest fires. They have a, a, a specific problem. They don't want, necessarily want to be the expert in the AI or in the science. They want to get to the results and the outcome. And so yes. in some cases they're looking for an easy button. And now while no one will ever say that AI is easy, part of what we're we're working with our ecosystem is to help provide a a quicker path to to success. And that is getting out there pre-trained models against data sets that are common across multiple use cases, making the tools and technologies easy for their standard developers. You don't have to be an AI machine learning expert. You've got some pre-trained models. You have some tool chains that will help you do easy optimization for a particular use case, and then giving them tools that are, already, that are easy to, uh, to pl- uh, pull together to deploy an AI inferencing into a camera and actually get results. And whether it be things like our Compute Stick uh, approach that gives developers the, the ease of plugging in a USB form factor and getting AI acceleration right into their Linux environment with an open source tool like OpenVINO to do model optimization and inferencing, to mm-hmm. chips that are working with the, the, the ecosystem of ODMs that now can build um, cards for standard server environments and, and IoT environments to plug in and give you, in, you know, capabilities for AI inferencing. And so a lot of, you know, there's, there's conversations at the deep science level and trying to understand how do you get the most maximum performance for doing, you know, large-scale climate modeling. And then there's the tactical, I need to be able to put cameras out on this, you know, around my building and detect if someone's trying to break in. And I, I need results. I don't, you know, give me the best you can give me. And so we get both kinds of conversations. And from our business units, it's really about then trying to provide both the really high-level tuning capability as well as the that's not call it an easier button, but an easier button for getting yeah. some of these solutions quickly deployed and seeing value. And we've seen some great examples of where using these sort of tools and techniques, they can rapidly deploy solutions. Um, there's a use case that's been demonstrated. Uh, t- that's basically an unmanned, uh, uh, water, uh, uh, unmanned vehicle for, for uh, the surf that basically is out there detecting the, the profile of sharks. So mm-hmm. it can w- quickly detect a shark and save surfers and divers' lives by being able to identify these in, in autonomous fashion. So they're out scanning the, the, uh, the ocean uh, near near beaches and be able to do that detection long before someone on the shore would spot a fin And be able to pull, uh, blow the whistle, and so those kind of use cases can be deployed very rapidly with pre-trained models that that you know working on existing data sets. Then, -hmm. when you get into some of the more uh, advanced areas around intelligence and DOD, they have harder mission areas sometimes, and so they're going to go deep into the science and find the right model that can do sensor fusion at the edge across multiple data types. And so we see really both sides uh, of that maturity curve.
0: Okay. Okay and and you mentioned security I I know when uh Emily was trying to figure out when we should be talking um she said that oh yeah but Steve's going to be at uh out for a couple of weeks at, at Black Hat and Defcon Well, you know can you give us a quick uh, trip report of of what you found new and notable there So
1: it as always Black Hat and Defcon is the uh is the big hacker conference and so thousands I think we're up to about 35,000 uh somewhat participants across the uh the two conferences this year um, was you know with a hotbed of all the latest attacks and threats and techniques that are being used, I think what was notable uh, was really a couple things. One, we saw a lot more government participation this year, uh, between having some Congress uh, men and women actually give talks about the state of privacy or the the state of uh, collaborative hacking uh, to be able to protect our critical infrastructure, bug bounties and the like. Um, we saw both um, the folks from uh, Air Force Research Labs actually have a hack the plane demonstration and folks working with the Navy had a hack the boat. Marino's uh, uh, a marine hacking expedition where you could come in and do a capture the flag style uh, pen test against the navigation, power distribution, and uh, control systems that would typically be used on a boat, um, on a ship, and be able to actually get your hands on these kind of techniques. So we're seeing... Uh, a lot more proactive, and I thought that was exciting to see um, very specific areas of the government eliciting uh, and really working with the hacker community, uh, both to advance the art, but also to get that knowledge of what are some of the techniques that they should be worried about, what what works, what doesn't, as part of the broader you know, ICS, recognizing that planes and ships are important to protect. Um, I think the other key thing I saw, and this was a couple of talks, there were the folks from Eclipseum and a couple other ones. Firmware is definitely an area of concern. We're seeing a lot of attack techniques that are targeting firmware, targeting whether it be BIOS or IOT firmware as the endpoint, or they're using vulnerabilities in firmware as their launch pad to perform uh, other kinds of attacks. And so you hear uh, half a dozen IOT attacks it's you know find vulnerability, do your you know do your buffer overflow exploit, laterally move, swap firmware, do bad thing. The last stage in the process for many of these attacks is swap firmware, do bad thing. And so I think it really raises the uh, the bar of that we really do have to require signed firmware for boot as a fundamental, not just for our data center servers where we've been doing this for some time, but for our smart uh, infrastructure, for whether it be our IoT systems or the edge computing capabilities, we have to treat them with the same level of security requirement as we do our back end systems because they become a launchpad into the network. And they're mm-hmm. the, ultimately where a lot of that critical infrastructure is operating. Um, so I think those were two two of the key themes. You know, the government really embracing the hacker community, um, which has been a long time coming, and we've seen pieces of it. But it, I think this year it really was highlighted where you had everyone from Congress, like I said, to you know, parts of the military out there, not just learning, but actually setting up environments for it to engage the, the hacker community directly. And I'm sure there's some recruiting going along as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the you know hearing about cyber talent, especially in the government, is so hard to come by. And and it's interesting to see that progression of that, you know, the, the government people probably back in the day weren't allowed to go to these conferences to all of a sudden, you know, they start going as attendees to now they're actually presenting and, and you know, using it as, as a way to recruit talent. So absolutely.
1: And, it, and investing uh, dollars because they brought the yeah. Joint Strike Fighter trainer, which is a million dollar mm-hmm. machine to you know flight simulator they brought that into the conference so they they had invested mm-hmm. real dollars into this event
0: yeah and and the the thing that you know I know Gunnar and I always talk about you know the you know whether it's open source or like a lot of technology that's out there <clears throat> especially in the IoT world is that you got to worry about vendor abandonment and you know it's like you know it's like oh it's only a smart light bulb and you you don't know where that small smart light bulb came from or if that place is in business or they just oem the technology from somebody else. And it's just so difficult to, uh, like, uh, to, to keep up with that. Do, do you do any, like, IoT uh, smart home stuff at home?
1: Um, so, actually, no. I've, I've I've resisted heavily to do the smart home for those very reasons, for the security reasons. Um, yeah. not the most smart thing I have right now is a smart printer. I need that. Oh, there you go but, yeah. but I, I've actually resisted um, although those days are starting to get numbered as now yeah. I have a, uh, a car charger in a garage that is a lot smarter than most things I have in my house
0: huh
1: it, those days are coming
0: yeah 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 okay so let's let's take a look into the future where where do you think things are heading in out uh, uh, in you know in the near term far out what do you see is coming
1: so I think in the near term one of the exciting areas is and I call this the the convergence. So today you've got sort of AI doing AI things, and high-performance computing doing high-performance computing things, and cloud doing cloudy things, and security trying to secure everything. And what I'm seeing is is a theme, and it's starting to come up, and we see it in some conference talks. I'm giving a talk in December that will be along the lines, is using these different technologies to benefit others. So the idea of, could I use AI to enhance cybersecurity, or vice versa? How do I secure AI? leveraging mm-hmm. the latest technologies? Uh, how can high-performance computing help drive data set simulations to be able to do better model training? And so the convergence across different, what we're classically different domains, we're seeing that convergence right now. We're seeing this in the cloud environments that they want to be HPC as a service. We see supercomputers figuring out how can they schedule just like a cloud orchestration environment. So we're already seeing areas where these different domains are starting to converge with each other and seeing the, the, the benefits of having those two worlds combined or multiple worlds combined. I think that's the next couple of years an exciting area as these individual technologies have now matured to where people are looking at, well, how can I do use this innovation, use this capability to make another area, another domain better? How do I leverage AI? I mean, one of the exciting areas that's going on right now is using AI to get better uh, performance and capability out of spectrum from a 5G or, or an LTE perspective. So applying AI models to network optimization and be able mm-hmm. to get better, better performance, better reliability and resilience out of a network, leveraging techniques that were applied for things like you know, video and image analysis and bringing those technologies over. Yeah. So that's really where, where things are happening right now and moving forward in, in sort of the advanced research and innovation there are a couple of key milestones coming up that are going to fundamentally change how we do a lot of computing. The first and one of the more exciting ones for us is the 2021 when Exascale goes live. So mm-hmm. when the Aurora supercomputer uh, goes, goes live that uh, Intel is a part of, that is going to change fundamentally change the game as far as you know big science problems that we're going to be able to, to now compute in a timely fashion, whether it be looking at curing cancer from a genomic perspective, being able to get uh, hurricane prediction down to a level of accuracy within the 10-day window that you can actually make good decisions, Um, being able to find the next set of black holes or other interesting uh, galactic uh, uh, elements and objects using deep space science, but now being able to process all of that information in a timely fashion with an exascale computer. So I think exascale is going to fundamentally change our ability to do some of these advanced science problems, and that's mm-hmm. just the beginning. So, you know, 2021, we hit Exascale, and then everyone starts marching towards, you know, what's the next Exascale agreement, quantum, and the neuromorphic and computing innovations are going to fundamentally change the way we compute. I think those are some of the future exciting areas that we're all keeping our eyes on of what does that mean for AI? What does that mean for, you know, some of our fundamental basic science Uh, and and humanity questions that we can now solve with these next generation computer architectures. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's, that's really inspirational. So this is a lot to unpack and and probably what, what we, this would be a great point to just uh, end the episode and, and let people pause it and, and just quietly reflect on all this great stuff that you said, but, but for, If people want to get out to the show notes and everything, where do we need to send them, Steve?
1: So I think we need to send them to dgshow.org is the place to go. Um, That's where they'll get all the information. Um, And then if they want to learn more about what Intel is doing, go to uh, Mm Intel.com and search for any of these topics, and they will readily pop up, whether it be AI, go slash I, security slash security, cloud slash cloud. Uh, Mm -hmm. All of the information and and technology and and really the reference architectures and and things I mentioned are there as well.
0: Okay. Awesome, Steve. Well, hey, I just want to thank you for joining, and thanks, everybody, for listening.
1: Thank you, David. Thank you, Gunnar, so much for hosting me today.